Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast. This is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to talk about some movies, and we're going to talk about this week's Oscar nominations. Uh, the movies we're going to talk about are 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, and Son of Saul. And as always, we're going to rate those movies on a three-tiered scale, Binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Let's get started. So let's start, um, before this week's reviews, let's talk about the announcements for the 2016 Oscar nominations. Yeah, but it's, it's the big day. The big day is here. Finally. After fucking, you know, what feels like a year and a half of campaigning, but in actuality it was really just like four months. Uh, it's here after so much deliberation, so much worry, so many tears shed, so much blood shed. And now at last we have the nominations. And uh, overall, the response has been pretty much like, eh, yeah, that's 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 pretty much what we expected. Yeah. It didn't like rock the boat too wildly. Um, there were no like shocker nominees. Like, I can't believe, you know, there was no, none of that. None of that. Um, there were shocking omissions, of course, which right. we'll get to momentarily. Uh, but to start off, I have some fun Oscar statistics. Ooh, everybody loves fun statistics. Yeah, regarding this year's nominees. Uh, so there are a couple of first-time nominees that run the gamut from surprising to depressing. <laughs> so the following are now now have the words Academy Award nominee forever attached to their name. Brian Cranston, Brie Larson, Charlotte Rampling, Tom Hardy, Mark Rylance, Jennifer Jason Lee. Rachel McAdams. That's a, that's Academy Award nominee Rachel McAdams. We now live in a day where that's wow. where that's a true thing. Uh, Alicia Vikander, Lady Gaga, <laughs> is now Academy Award nominee Lady Gaga. Uh, Anoni, uh, formerly known as Anthony Hegarty of Anthony and the Johnsons. Oh, really? Yeah, he uh, co-wrote, or I guess actually, oh, she, he is now going. He he's transitioned, I believe. I believe so. Yeah, I've I've seen the female pronoun used um, for for Anoni, and for every time Pitchfork's written about her recently. So, uh, Anoni, she is now nominated. The Weekend, uh, whose hair uh, encouraged your wrath against me uh, in our very first episode, is Just... now nominated because um, he did a, a song for the Fifty Shades soundtrack. Oh. They got nominated. What was an Anoni for? Uh, an, uh, it was a song for a soundtrack called Racing Extinction. Okay. Uh, so, and then Sam Smith is now Academy Award nominee Sam Smith. Mm. Uh, yeah, for the, for the fucking Spectre song. Uh, so, and if all those people perform at the awards this year, it's going to be quite a show. <laughs> quite a show. I would love to see Anoni and Lady Gaga perform oh my together. God. That would Can be kind of cool. Yes. And yes. The Weeknd. They would be kind of a... A cool show. It would be a hell of a show. Be weird. So, fingers crossed weird for that. Weird as fuck. <laughs> weird as fuck. Weird AF, as the kids might say. Uh, regarding the Best Picture race, um, you know, there are eight nominees out of a possible ten slots. And it might sound like it's crazy to think, like, well, what could possibly win from all these eight contenders? But here's the thing. Uh, if the Big Short or Spotlight don't win Best Picture, it would be the first time that movie won Best Picture in 20 years where it did not also get nominated for the Screen Actors Guild um, Ensemble Cast Award. Oh, those have always paired up. Yes. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, it would be the first time in 20 years if it's not the big shorter spotlight. Everyone's looking at those two as, as the main frontrunners for Best Picture. Um, if The Revenant, which suddenly has a lot of steam coming off of the Golden Globe win, if that were to win Best Picture, it would only be the eighth movie in history 
to win that category without a screenplay nomination. Because it did, it did not get into a screenplay nomination. Because there's no words in that movie. Because <laughs> it's basically wordless. And uh, the last movie to win Best Picture uh, without a screenplay nomination was Titanic. Uh, because that had a fucking terrible screenplay. Right. And if, if I recall correctly, James Cameron actually was like butthurt about that. He was just like, oh, I wrote a wonderful screenplay. It's like, <laughs> you so did not. This is like a paint-by-numbers romantic tragedy. <laughs> this is not. You didn't like. This isn't fucking Pulp Fiction. Uh, but, uh, but you know, Revenant, like Titanic, is more about spectacle uh, than anything else. Right. So, you know, it's possible. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, with his nomination for Creed is now the sixth actor in history uh, to ever be nominated for playing the same character twice. I wonder what the others are. Well, the most recent one is Kate Blanchett, uh, who is nominated for playing Queen Elizabeth I in both Elizabeth and Elizabeth II, the Golden Age. Oh. Yeah. And some other ones are like... These facts are fun. Right? Al Pacino was nominated for playing Michael Corleone twice in the Godfather movies. Um, uh, Like Paul Newman played uh, the same dude in... The Hustler and The Color of Money, oh, I right. think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then Slimer. And then Slimer. So, yeah. So this is a, the the welcome, the really just, you know, just elite pantheon of nominees. <laughs> Rebecca's trying really hard not to just fucking lose it at the joke she just made. <laughs> <laughs> it's not super NPR of you right now. <laughs> not very chill. <laughs> she has tears in her eyes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Well, you know, that was a, that was a more diverse year for nominees than this one was when Slimer made the cut. Okay, move, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, a few a few more a few more quick facts. Uh, before this year, there were only 3 movies that had ever been nominated in all 7 tech categories. In this year, oh. that number almost doubled because two movies pulled that off, Mad Max Fury Road and The Revenant. Uh, got nominated in all 7 tech categories, becoming the 4th and 5th movies ever to get that. So Steven Spielberg may have been snubbed in the Best Director category, but he has become officially the most nominated Best Picture producer ever. This is his ninth nomination as producer for Best Picture uh, contender for Bridge of Spies. Uh, This is the 13th nomination with no wins for two different veterans, uh, Director of Photography Roger Deakins and Composer Thomas Newman. 13 nominations. For both of them with no wins. So they're the Luchis. The Luchis, yeah. So we'll see if this is their Luchi year. And one last one. This is, so composer John Williams, the legendary mm-hmm. John Williams, for his score for Star Wars The Force Awakens, has amassed his 50th nomination. What? 50 Oscar nominations for John Williams. Wow. Yeah. So he's like what Alison Krauss is to the Grammys. <laughs> John Williams is That's the for, collab album I want to hear. It's for the Academy. So those are my fun facts. Fun facts, everyone. Those were fun. Thanks. <laughs> so let's hear your fun observations about some one of the hotter topics. Yeah. Uh, hashtag Oscar's still so white. Oscar's still so white. Yeah, I, it's hugely embarrassing for the Academy. Uh, what I thought was funny was, I think yesterday, so we're recording this Thursday night, the night the, uh, the awards were announced, 
And yesterday, I followed the Academy on Instagram because, of course, I do. And <laughs> they released their um, their promotional campaign for this year's ceremony. And it's like these pictures. It's like the the, the, the slogan is like, we dream in gold or something, which sounds like a fucking Bond villain. But yeah. um, And it's pictures of like past winners where like the picture is all black and white and only the Oscar is in color and gold. And it looks nice enough. And I was like, oh, wow. And I noticed that like half of the six pictures that they released were of African-American winners. So they showed, like, oh. Lupita Nyong'o, they showed Jamie Foxx, they showed um, Common and John Legend, and um, and then the host is Chris Rock right. this year. Right. Um, so he'll have some hot takes on this. Uh, so I was like, oh, wow. So, I mean, they're making this, these gestures with the marketing. Maybe this is, like, warming us up for, like, a historically diverse lineup of nominees. And whoops, it wasn't. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. None. And it's and, and Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who is the president of the Academy and who is an African American woman, um, is already has already like spoken to Deadline to be like, yeah, I'm embarrassed, but you know she's like, you know, nothing to take away from the achievements of those that we are celebrating, but you know we we are you know this is not ideal, um, right. and you know they've, they, she kind of has been undertaking initiatives to diversify the the membership of the Academy hoping that that will make a difference right. by bringing people who are younger, people who are, you know, a variety of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And um, and really the the kind of the, the wisdom that people are putting out about this is that it just hasn't taken effect yet. Like this, this injection of youth and variety and diversity into the academy just hasn't really taken hold yet. And so they're hoping that going forward, you know, maybe it'll start showing up next year, <laughs> this year, just like it was like it just didn't, it just did not work. And uh, and some of it feels more of a slap in the face than others, I think. Sure, um, yeah. You know, the fact that there were 10 Best Picture slots, and they only used eight, and did not nominate Straight Outta Compton, right? which was the first film since Bridesmaids to be nominated by the Writers Guild, the Producers Guild, and the Screen Actors Guild, and not get a Best Picture nomination. Wow. And uh, so that's, so it feels wow. very, it feels very targeted to be like, nope, sorry, which is, you know, same thing for like, Carol and um, Sicario and Star Wars and the other kinds of movies that were being considered as like best picture possibilities. And then they just, I mean, how insulting must that to be? To have like, an we, empty slot. To be like, yeah, we could have put you in these two empty slots, but yeah. no. <laughs> no. So could you help explain maybe for people who aren't as familiar, myself included, with how this process works? When you when you want to blame somebody for something like this, yeah, uh, it's not like one or two or five people who sit down and pick who the nominees are like the voting like where right. is that voting process how does it work there's like- there's several thousand people in the academy um the largest branch is the actors branch but there's branches of it for like everything there's branches for sound mixers there's branches for publicists there's branches for every part of the industry in the academy and uh and they all just vote and uh you know there's lots of campaign that goes on for the academy members you know in all different cities and uh, and I believe that you know they just get like an open ballot, and then you know open what, ballot. So nothing is on the ballot already. They can no, write in. they can write. They can vote for whatever they want, and uh, and then they you know send in their ballots, and then the highest vote getters are the nominees. Okay. And uh, so that's what happened. So it's sort of like it's not like they, they. I don't. I don't. I don't think that they would ever look at what the, the final nominees were and be like, oops, you know, we didn't have any people of color. We need to go back and do this again. Right. You know, so it was just bad fucking luck that they only were nominating, you know, white actors. But, you know, it, it speaks to the lack of quality roles that are being put out there for people of color. I mean, there were a couple of nom- you know, performances this year that had some awards buzz behind them, um, but not a lot. 
And uh, so it's really just about a, a more systemic industry problem of a lack of quality parts for Ashes of Color or a lack of roles being offered to Ashes of Color. You know, it doesn't matter how it's written on the page. Right. Uh, so, Do you feel like there any responsibility or how much responsibility falls on the people who are doing the sort of campaigning for these? So mm-hmm. you have this group of people who have these open ballots and these people are... Are they wined and dined? Are they shown like is it because they see a full page ad in an in a industry rag mm-hmm. or a billboard on Santa Monica? Right. And are the studios responsible for funding those things? Are, are they dropping the ball? Well, you know, I think that these movies have all had big campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so the the main the main snubs in terms of people of color who are being considered for nominees uh, nominations. The biggest uh, shoo-in, what everyone thought, was Idris Elba, um, Best Supporting Actor for Beasts of No Nation, mm-hmm. which had an enormous campaign. And Netflix did not, you know, did not spare any expense on that. And then uh, Michael B. Jordan and uh, Will Smith were considered possibilities for Best Actor, Best Lead Actor for Creed and Concussion, respectively. Uh, there weren't really any women of color that were considered um, this year as likely contenders with a very, very small possibility of... Maya Taylor from Tangerine, because she had a right. campaign going, and that did not amount to an actual nomination. Benito Del Toro also was considered a likely shoe-in uh, nominee for Best Supporting Actor for Sicario, mm. and that did not happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, these are all movies that are huge movies that had a big campaigns, and it just didn't work. It just, they, they just you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, like... There's so many influence, you know, so many influences that could lead to what you vote for, or what you don't vote for, mm-hmm. and uh, so I don't know that there's anything they could be do f- doing differently about the the campaigning. You know, okay. I mean, if they're getting their if they're getting their candidates out there and they're like sending them out to luncheons and screening Q and A's and all those things, and they're working the circuit, then there's nothing else that can be done. If gotcha. the candidate does not do that for whatever reason that they don't want to, or because their people don't send them up for it, then that's when you start to get fucked. But I think it's especially problematic with Creed because what the Academy has essentially done is taken the one white part of that movie. Of an entirely black cast. And said, this is the part we like. Yeah. You know, we're not going to yeah. call out Ryan Coogler. We're not going to call out Michael B. Jordan. We're not going to call out Tessa Thompson. Uh, we're not going to call out Felicia Rashad. We're not going to call out any of the people of color who worked in the crew. Like, we're going to call Sylvester Stallone, fucking legacy nominee, old white dude from generations of, you know, of Hollywood, you know, nonsense. And that's the part we like. Thank you for this. Yeah. <laughs> and he's probably going to win. And I'm not saying he shouldn't win. It's a great performance. Right, right. Um, but it's just like, really, guys? Like, do you, like, do you see what you did? So I, mean, I think that all we can do is just, like, continue to sort of shame them <laughs> um, <laughs> as a people until, like, so that maybe they vote a bit, for, a bit more mindfully. Yeah. Um, you know, the Academy members will listen, you know, see how mocked they are. Um, and that they'll think about that whenever they're voting next year. Just try to be more conscientious and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't just vote for like the same white actors over and over and over again. Do you think that controversy like this and hashtag Oscar is still so white could trickle down to sort of like the script buying and movie production decision making as far as like having more movies made for and about and with people of color? Do you think that will help push those movies to get made? Well, not in the studio system because the studio system is still just driven entirely by the dollar. Mm-hmm. There is not one goddamn thing that they care about other than making money. Uh, so if, if it, if there's a way to do it in a way that makes money, they'll do it. Yeah. But they're not going to do it for the social good of it. Not by a long shot. Gotcha. Not unless you have a really powerful person who's like pushing something through as a passion project. I mean, they didn't do Creed because they're like, 
you know, producers in Hollywood were really moved by Black Lives Matter. Right. Uh, that, right. That's not. They did it because they're like, oh, a Rocky sequel? Fuck yeah, that'll make tons of money. And, you know, oh, you did in a way to get Sly to come back? Awesome. <laughs> this is going to do well. So that's really all it comes down to. Um, you know, and then it just falls to the, in- to the indies to, you know, to make quality films or to at least find and distribute quality films that say something more meaningful because you can, you can never, ever look at the studios to be altruistic. The studios are there, and they're in the business of making money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a movie business. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, they're, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. There were a few other uh, pretty high-profile snubs this year. The biggest, most shocking one was the lack of a frontrunner who was perceived as a frontrunner, the most likely to win, not even getting nominated in his category, and that would be Ridley Scott, the director of The Martian, mm-hmm. who has never won an Oscar. For really? Best Director. He's never won Best Director. That's shocking. For all these, you know, the legendary, you know, Alien, Blade Runner, Thumb on Louise, Gladiator, so many movies That's this guy insane. has done. He's never won Best Director. And it was like, oh, it's his year. He's due. It's time. Not even nominated. Wow. Which very, very much hurts the Martian's chance at winning Best Picture because you're not going to get a Best Picture if your director's not nominated. Right. Uh, so that was a big shocker. As I mentioned before, Steven Spielberg also was favored to be nominated for Bridge of Spies. Didn't make the cut. Two pretty fucking big screenplay snubs. Um, Quentin Tarantino didn't get nominated for The Hateful, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight got nothing. And he got supporting actress for Jennifer Jason Leigh. Right. And I think a couple of maybe the technical things. But yeah, like, that's about it. It didn't get Best Picture. It did not get Best Director. And the screenplay one, which Tarantino has joked in the past about, like, winning so many times, it just becomes known as the Quentin Tarantino Award. <laughs> he did not even get nominated. And, I mean, he's won it, I think, three times, I want to say, for, like, Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards and Django. And Django. Insanely won for fucking Django. Um, so he did not get nominated. And now they did Aaron Sorkin for Steve Jobs. Uh, who just won the Golden Globe for Best Screenplay. Right. And uh, and Steve Jobs got uh, more love than I think people expected uh, and since Michael Fassbender was nominated. Uh, but yeah, no love for Sorkin. Uh, and uh, a few other actors were favored to possibly get nominated. Uh, there was uh, Jacob Tremblay, the young boy from Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Michael Shannon for 99 Homes, Johnny Depp for Black Mass, Helen Mirren for Trumbo. Uh, and a few uh, animated features didn't make the cut either. Uh, Pixar's The Good Dinosaur, which I believe is only like now the third Pixar movie that they've done that did not get a Best Animated Feature nomination, uh, and as well as the Peanuts movie. <laughs> <laughs> I said Peanuts. <laughs> Peanuts movie. Oh, oh, and in the documentary category. Going Clear didn't make it. Going Clear didn't make that's it. That's crazy. Yes, so that certainly is like, an instant conspiracy theory. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like immediate. Half immediate. of the academy is like locked in a in a tank underneath <laughs> the Scientology Center. Yeah, so that was that was noticeable. Um, and the only other big one was the front runner for best original song was "See You Again," the Paul Walker tribute from Furious Seven. Oh yeah, and that didn't get nominated at all. What about so, uh, nothing for Carol? Well, I mean, Carol got a lot. It just didn't get best picture or best director. Um, you know, got actress, supporting actress, adapted screenplay, a bunch of technical nominations for mm-hmm. like photography, costume design. But that seemed like one where having the two extra empty spots in under best mm-hmm. movie also feels. Like oh that. yeah, and that oh, was and there's yeah that was definitely a diss. 
And, you know, there's there's a huge, you know, Justice for Carol outrage movement (laughs) (laughs) brewing, brewing, brewing with uppity gays online. That's a little much. I know. I'm like, let's not forget there's a much bigger outrage about this year's nominees and the lack of, like, this, like, lipstick lesbian romance in the Best Picture (laughs) category and the Best Director category. Uh, So, yeah, I think that their Academy members were really uh, mixed on Carol because a lot of people felt like it was just too cold and too, that's kind of the problems we had with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's a movie that really has, like, I think of an outspoken faction of haters who are just like, this is not a good movie. This movie that wants you to think it's a good movie, but it's actually just really shitty. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's just a really boring-ass slow romance. Uh, So I think that there there was enough of that contingent to put it over the top. And so it, it did not get picture or director. Are, do you vote in the Academy Awards? I don't. They don't. They don't. They don't ask no, you. not yet. Not yet. If you're listening, <laughs> tweet me. Um, so, are you excited to watch it? Or are you kind of? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm always excited to watch the Oscars. I mean, it is like everyone is the you know it's gay Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 an amazing thing, and you know, and 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 Twitter is always hilarious during such award shows. So that's a good time to be following a lot of great comics on Twitter. And yeah, no, I, I, I'm very excited to watch, even though there are a series of disappointments. And then we'll see who wins the top six. There are some some early front runners. Uh, and you'll be tweeting a lot about the Oscars, and I'm sure during the Oscars. And once again, your handle is at the Jason Leroy. At the Jason Leroy uh, to see my. I was tweeting about the Globes on Sunday, and I'll be tweeting about the Oscars next month. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so there are some some likely front runners in the top six categories um, that have emerged at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for best picture, as we talked about, it's looking like a throwdown between Spotlight and The Big Short. Uh, for best director, uh, it's looking like there's a chance that it'll be George Miller from Mad Max Fury Road. That'd be fantastic because you know Ridley Scott was like the front runner, but then he got bounced, and it seems unlikely they would have Inuritu win two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it might be George Miller, uh, best actor. This is like the easiest one to call for Leo DiCaprio. Leo. Like there's not a shot in hell. Anyone else is going to win. And I keep seeing all this like weird, like snarky Twitter comments. Like, well, enjoy the globe, Leo. Cause you would never get that Oscar. I'm like, have you guys <laughs> looked at the field? Like <laughs> there is no competition. There's no, nothing. There's no competition. Um, the, the 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 dark horse in that category is possibly Brian Cranston, just because everyone loves him so much, and he's playing a, a, a Hollywood figure. And the Academy always loves stuff about itself. Uh, Best actress seems pretty locked up for Brie Larson, um, with a very slim. There's a slim dark horse chance that uh, Charlotte Rampling could upset because mm-hmm. she is a legend. She has been acting for like 50 years, and she's never been nominated before. So this could be one of those like lifetime achievement type things, right? right? And everyone that loves her in the movie as well, which we will review in a later episode. I can't wait. And for best supporting actor, as we were saying earlier, Sylvester Stallone for Creed is looking quite likely, uh, with maybe a possibility of Mark Ruffalo getting in for Spotlight because everyone loves him and he's been nominated before, and he, you know, it would be a way of acknowledging the movie's ensemble cast. Uh, best supporting actress category fraud wins, <laughs> and Alicia <laughs> Vikander. Uh, seems prime to you know this category is always friendly to ingenues and she's had she's been chest staining all year and uh, <laughs> and it seems like it's going to go her way 
Uh, so, but uh, before the Oscars come out, uh, we will do our best to to put out a, a poll for your office polls. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, a binge movie podcast Oscar poll uh, so that you can use and then take out your rage on us whenever you don't <laughs> win, or share your winnings with us when you do. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our Oscar talk uh, for this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to let some friends of ours tell you about their podcast. Uh, if you're listening to us, that means you probably like movies. And if you like horror movies in particular, have we got the podcast for you. It's called The Bloodlust, and it is hilarious and very well done. And uh, and we'll let them take it from there. Do you like horror movies? So do we. Fucks his little eyeballs yep. out. Just his tongue it out. on out. She yeah. was great. Do you like American Horror Story? So do we. There were some butts. Yep, pillins. Yep, butt. Yep, pillins. Butt. Yep, pillins. It's over 90% cheek. That's your butt. You see the essence of the butt. Are you into vampires dancing in mesh tank tops? Us too. I was mesmerized by the mesh tank top and leather pants. Are you into high-minded film critique and discussion? Because we've got that. And it is beautifully filmed. Like, it really... Just the stark contrast of colors, like you said. Not your thing? How about a dick joke? His dick, dude. He put his yeah. dick in a fucking pig. Come on. We've also got one dude to give dude perspective. Zombie apocalypse is no time to have your head in the pussy clouds, Mickey. This is survival. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and subscribe to The Bloodlust, your go-to podcast for classy broads and a token dude talking horror. Okay, let's start with the first movie for this week, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. In 2012, the threat level in Benghazi, Libya was deemed critical. When everything went wrong, six men had the courage to do what was right. What you do right now will determine whether we live or die. As long as I'm doing the right thing, God will take care of me. If you don't send our support, Americans are going to die, including the one talking to you right now. You're not giving orders anymore. You're in my world now. I haven't thought about my family once tonight. Thinking about them now. Up here in the middle of all this. Thinking about my girls, man. I fucking hate myself for saying that tagline in, <laughs> in like the dramatic way because it I know. feel like I'm just feeding into the whole fucking thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're betraying your your NPR natural voice by using it for evil instead of I good. am. I'm using it for evil. Where do you want to where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Should we get the nice stuff out of the way? Yeah. Let's 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 get the nice stuff out of the way so that we can really dig into all the problems this movie has. <laughs> <laughs> so it's beautifully shot <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a beautifully shot movie um it is really well crafted as an action movie it's two and a half hours long and i was never anything less than completely engrossed and sometimes just grossed uh <laughs> by it uh and uh it's there's there's not like bad performances or anything like that so technically it has it's totally like above average solid action military movie uh so do you have any nice things you would like to add rebecca kudos to john krasinski for getting in really great shape (laughs) yes yes he did he did get in really great shape although you'll see if you see the movie which we're not going to say you necessarily should i was going to specifically say don't (laughs) Um, he, yeah, he, as you may know from his press tour for this movie, he got in crazy ripped up shape 
And he only is shirtless in the movie for literally three seconds. And it's dark out. Yeah, he so totally got robbed on that. I'm like, girl, like, why did you go through all that just for that? I wonder if he asked for the shirtless scene. He's like, you guys seriously want me to do all this? And I need to take not, my shirt off. Yeah, it's like, you guys, I'm going to do this, right? Like, he's like, you, he's like, I can do it during before the fight or during the fight. But it'll, it'll <laughs> be a lot more awkward if I do it during the siege. Uh, but, you know, it's up to you guys. I uh, I feel like the only person I recommended this movie is to someone who I felt would appreciate a bunch of strong, well-built, bearded men who mm. look like they would hate fuck you to, uh, the, to watch it. Dave. Dave. <laughs> I mean, you made an audible ooh, at one point during the movie. Oh, well, yeah. When John Krasinski had a shirtless scene because like... It was he, when that guy was pushing the tires. No, I didn't really... It wasn't during that scene because I know you were thinking that was doing it for me, but that guy didn't really do it for me. I was like amused by how gay it was. It was so because gay. Because of he's like the shorty, shorty, short shorts that he had on while he was like th- throwing the tire around all sweaty and greased up. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that. Yeah. When John Krasinski had walked out with a shirt off because I have always, you know, been into him and he, and he really got into like crazy shape. Yeah. It's movie. intense. There's, there's more, there, it's like an, it's, it's a startling amount of definition on his torso. Um, but, and then during the, um, there was a featurette that they ran for the movie that they might be doing for all screenings. That's basically like a, the real men endorse the movie type situation. Yeah. And it, which is strange. I feel like it's very un, odd, it's unprecedented, really, for like you know, like a true story to open with a featurette with like the guys being like, "Yep, this is what happened." You know, we watched it, we we helped write it, and this this is it. So settle in for the truth. Like it that just feels so strange. very very strange. But so I had only known this movie as like the John Krasinski got hot movie, <laughs> but then during the featurette, and they're showing like little preview clips of the movie. And I realized that Pablo Schreiber is also in it. Oh, right. And I was like, I don't know if my pussy can take it. And you might know him as Porn Stash from Orange is the New Black. Yes, but if you only know him as that, then you think that I'm disgusting and crazy for thinking that he's hot. <laughs> no, you might also know him as the murder rapist from Law and Order, in which case you also think Jason <laughs> is insane. But if you know him as that one drug dealer on weeds that Nancy fucks toward the end... <laughs> Then you'll then you will totally be with me on this. Also, if you know him as as like Nikki Sabatka from The Wire season two, then you might also see where I'm coming from with this. But no, I was like audibly groaning when he was on screen like throughout this movie, and he has like his sleeve and his T-shirt gets ripped off like halfway in, and then he just has his like bicep out the rest of the movie. <gasps> it was so porny. So, and I could see how, like, I would enjoy the movie more than Rebecca would, because that clearly does nothing for her. No. So I at least could just, like, sit there and in just, like, be gross and leering and, you know, applying my male gaze to, to the material. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that happened, though. I'm, yeah. I feel like we won. Yeah, I feel like I was subverting it by just, like, yeah, like, mentally just being off in some kind of big circle jerk with a cast the whole time. I just kept repeating the phrase, Beard Gazi. Remember to say Beard Gazi <laughs> during the whole, all the times I was uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So that's, that's, and then also, and then not only was Pablo Schreiber in it, and then later, Freddie Stroma, who played The Bachelor on Unreal Season 1, showed up. I couldn't take it. <laughs> I couldn't take it. I almost walked out and dealt with myself and came back. You know what would be amazing? That touches this and also gets to how much I hate this movie. Yeah. It would be so awesome if they took this movie 
and filmed it at, or showed it at like the Castro Theater <laughs> and had a bunch of gay dudes show up. Oh my god! Wearing like military clothes. Oh, because there's one of those mil- uniform parties. Mili- you know, military fetish is a, was one of the, the bigger fetishes. So. Absolutely, and then yeah. just just show this movie. Oh my god! And like do a big media thing with it. Yeah. I would love that. Oh my god! Can we do that? I think let's. Do we have let's, the kind of talk to Do we have the poll? Do we have the cachet? Let's see what we can do. Yeah, let's see what we can pull together because I think that that would be very successful. Because another big thing about this movie is that. It's not political. The message behind it is that it's not a political movie. You hear Benghazi, you think Hillary Clinton, you think the government, and but this movie has gone oh no. above it's and beyond to really, say it's not political. Oh, it's very, even in the very political in the feature right at the um, beginning. Yeah, like this is not about politics. This is about you know showing you what these six guys went through, and I and I will say, however much damage it does, which we'll get into in a minute, um, I think that it does at least. Now, when I think of Benghazi, uh, and while he, when I hear that word, I picture the stuff that happens in this movie in a in a big picture kind of way, not like the the shittier things we'll get into. But I'm just like now I don't just picture Fox News reporting about Hillary Clinton when yeah, I hear the yeah. word. Now, actually, picture what happens in this movie. Yeah, because you know, because what I don't want us to do is come off as like being glib about what actually happened, right. which was a tragedy, and you know, f- you know, four American lives were lost and countless you know Libyan lives. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, this is not us being like, oh, nothing happened. Oh, we're liberals. We don't care. No, but at the same time, you can't use a, a, a true story and and use it to, to point whatever message and then take any critics to the movie and say that you're being unpatriotic or right. that you're not respecting the memory of the people who passed or for mm-hmm. one reason or another. Those things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So we right. can be completely critical oh, of this yeah. movie and still be yeah, because we have Americans. Lot. Yeah, because we're we're going we're going to be critical in this movie. So this uh, movie is very political. This movie is intensely political, um, in the sense that it, you know, it does not say Hillary Clinton's name. It barely, it doesn't really say Obama's name. Um, but it's all, it's, it's all between the lines, but it's like the widest fucking lines, the you know, widest. like, and it's like, it, it feels so true of everything that's wrong about conservative culture that this movie thinks it's like being sneaky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the ways that it demonizes so much shit. And really, I feel like the core of what this movie is about is this is a movie with a chip on its shoulder. Like yes. as much as this is like a hymn of praise to military heroism, this is actually a movie that is fucking pissed off on behalf of these guys who feel like they're not taken seriously. Uh, yeah. Because, like, you know, yeah. let's, let's, you know, for a second, like, everyone's like, oh, what's military heroism? But just to be clear, these guys were, like, private contractors. Exactly. They were these private are, contractors for the detail. These are ex-military. Ex-military. These six dudes were ex-military private contractors. And so, and the, and so they're not being, you know, fucking sent out there by the military. They are signing very, very, very lucrative contracts. Very lucrative. Extremely lucrative contracts to go and do these things and put themselves... For in, a living. And put themselves in harm's way. And that does not take away from, you know, the patriotism of wanting to... Well, not, not, that's not the right word. You know, from the, the, the courage of putting themselves in harm's way by going into the fray when this all went down at this compound. Right. But just to be clear, this is about private these are employees right this is basically like a story about security guards going you know jumping into the rescue to help other people out of a situation like this that's what this is really about but these guys feel very disrespected and so this is really uh one of those it's like a culture war movie about real men versus the elite and the educated and how those guys are fucking assholes and how real men are where it's at yeah 
that, uh, that that's the part that got me the most of this movie. Oh my god! It made this very clear line of there are these there are these group of guys who are very strong and are very sm- may might not, not be book smart, mm-hmm. but they're smart about the world. Yeah, and they know what's right, and people just need to fucking shut up and listen to them, and that's yeah. the way it's gonna go. And anyone with their as they specifically call out their Harvard or their Yale degrees. Oh my god! Or if you're a woman. You are a fucking weenie. <laughs> Basically, the whole thing is yeah. these the, these women and these these Ivy League, yeah, Ivy League graduated guys. people have been. You they infer that these people have been judging them and putting them down for being brawn and no brains. Mm-hmm. But then when shit comes, yeah, then who do they come running to? Who needs to save the day? These guys. Seriously, it's so obvious, and this oh is the, that's part of the whole chip on the shoulder thing. Yeah, it is. George Bush-esque cowboy fucking nonsense. Yeah. It panders so much. It's like the most pandering fucking movie that I can remember seeing in a while. And yeah, there's this one guy. They kind of, they distill their their hatred for, you know, guys who went to school and have like office jobs into one character Mm -hmm. who is played by a guy who only plays villains. I remember he was like, he was, I think he was like a, a hired killer on damages. And I still hate him from that. I see his face. I'm like, oh, I fucking hate you. You killed Ellen's husband. And so he's just like, he's just like, you know, waddling around in his like pale khakis and his like tucked in short sleeve button down. And he's like, okay, guys, you better do what I say. And you don't have clearance. You don't have clearance. And, right. you know, listen, like I call the shots around here. Hmm. And they're all standing there like, oh, he only gets away with it because he knows he can. And then, like, later, once the attack starts and these guys are wanting to go from their their compound over to the compound where it's happening, and this guy's like, no, you don't have clearance. You can't go. And then he's like, wait, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. And one of the fucking military guys, one of the contractors is like, you're in my world now. Oh, God. And then at the end, at the end, he says, I'm glad the in the the... I don't know. You do your impression when he says, <laughs> "I can't even try to do your impression." I'm glad to know Americans like you. Oh my God, he oh. does say that. He literally says that. He literally says the, the words, lines, "I'm glad to know Americans like you." If you were okay, imagine yourself a teenager who gets bullied all the time, and you're kind of an idiot, and you are writing in your notebook like, "Man, if, if the bully like confronted me, and then like one day I could be like, then like someone came in the school with a gun, and I like." saved everybody and like got all the girls and like what would they say to me then oh we're so happy to know you brian it was uh, like it's a fantasy yeah it's It's a a complete it's a fucking fucking nonsense fantasy it's like these guys like even though you know like this according to these dudes is is exactly what really happened it plays like a fantasy of like wish fulfillment of what these guys wish people would say to them because they feel like they're not taken seriously yes and so like the movie it's not I feel like real heroism comes from a place of generosity. And this is a movie that wants to fucking be like, these people are all assholes. It's not a movie that has a good heart. Right. It's no, a movie, it's a movie that wants to just mock. It wants to mock the people who are not the good guys. Um, there's also Freddie Stroma um, in his role at one point uh, is trying to ask Pablo Schreiber what's happening. And Pablo Schreiber is like, if you want to know me, meet me on the roof and bring a gun. <sighs> and then Freddie Stroma's like, I'm sorry, as he's being serious, because that's his job, it's not mine. 
Yeah. And yes. it's like one of those things where you're supposed to be like, oh, you fucking piece of shit. That's what you're supposed to sit there and think. Like, oh, you, you, you're you British. Why should I even like you? Right. You know, like, oh, you're so good, too good for any of this, huh? Whoa, all the real men are going to be upstairs saving your lives. <laughs> like, it's so pandering and so manipulative in such an obvious way. And for it to go around saying it's apolitical. Oh, well, there's an article I sent you a little while ago about the extensive conservative courting this movie has been doing. Yes. I mean, like National Review, uh, going around, mm-hmm. you know, buying buying tons of ad time on Fox News. Uh, like they, and this is, and this is a bottom line thing. They want to make money, and so like they can say the movie's apolitical, but the marketing of it is very, very political. political. Uh, let's talk about that female character. Oh my god! So there's one female character in the entire movie who has more than one scene. The rest are just like, you know, like wives and girlfriends on Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just to reinforce, these are family men. These are all good family men who are fathers and husbands, and they, they're all God-fearing men. They talk about their kids and their family. There's a montage of family scenes that is yeah three times longer than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. It's like right, like shortly before it all starts to go down. Right. They, they show sort of, everyone, like everyone. <laughs> the shocking thing about this also, and this might be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> But as you mentioned, they're contractors. This yes. is a chose. This is a chosen thing. There's no like this is a job, and if you're going to focus on the children and the family so much, why are you fucking doing this job? I know, I know. No, I mean it's totally you didn't fair. Sign up to this to defend your country. Right. You are a, a contractor. Yeah, you were there by choice. You were there by choice, and you know not to make light of the difficulties that you know veterans have once they return from duty, and they're like, well, what do I do now? And that's why I think why so many of them end up going into this kind of line of work sure. because it's one you know like that's what their skill set is. Uh, but you know, with that said, like John Krasinski's character in this movie, he's like, well, this is like his like third or fourth time that he's gone out in this particular contract, right? Because as the other character says, which I do your impression, warriors don't know how to retire. Oh my god, <laughs> I forgot about that I line. I remember every line from oh this my movie. God. Though. Yeah, so I think it, I think it resonated with you. I think you hate it because it's pieces of you. <laughs> I hate the me I see in the... I'm the 14th secret soldier of Benghazi. Oh, my God. In spirit. Okay, okay so there's this woman character who... Uh, she's meant to be some... She's like, she's like a lobbyist or something. Mm-hmm. And she's she's French. And so you automatically know you're like, oh, uppity. Uh, you, you get the cue. She's French. She's uppity. And the first couple... Like, the whole first half of the movie is just her going and trying to have all these business meetings with one of the security guys and then just having to be pulled out of it because there's like a security breach. And every time she's like, what are you doing? I am, they are doing business and you're dragging me out of this situation. And, and then, uh, in, but then we're on halfway through when shit starts to go down. She literally goes from being like, oh, you are these stupid men and you are not letting me do my job to bringing them food on the roof. Mm-hmm literally up goes up on the roof has a scene where she falls on her face yeah just 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 to, just to punish just her trips yeah she's 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 stepping down from like the ladder going up to the roof where the guys are like hanging out with guns literally just trips and falls face first just to like it really feels vindictive it really it, is it feels like it's just like just to give the audience like any lingering like, okay i like her now she fell on her face and it almost turned into a love story yeah. which i that would have been the last it draw. starts to I get a little romantic left. with her and like john krasinski and then in the end, she's like, she says basically the same thing. She's like, I'm so proud to have known you. You're such brave men. Oh and so it's basically like, okay, she gets it. She gets it. She gets who really matters here. She gets who counts. Uh, so Unbelievable. That was terrible. And uh, <laughs> So that was terrible. Let's talk about how the Libyans are depicted. 
<laughs> when you we? say that there's depiction the good guys and the bad guys <laughs> yeah. and that was in co- the context of the americans or the uh, the white people in the movie mm-hmm. um there's also, also quickly about the woman this movie fails the bechdel test yes so hard yes yes it does so hard um so talking about the libyans there's a line in here uh where pablo schreiber's character says they're all bad guys until they're not mm-hmm. basically it it shows every Muslim character, every Libyan character as um, an enemy and uh, not to be trusted mm-hmm. um, in a very like, it feels like a an old, like shifty eyed kind of way, which is <laughs> horrible. It is like the, the way that they sort of like slide between characters uh-huh. um, to give you this, it builds a sense of unease for you. And w- when you're watching the the soldiers in these circumstances, which is also horrible. It puts you in this position where you're now also afraid of all these people in this movie. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, with, with that line, I, mean, I knew that that line bothered Rebecca because she furiously scribbled her notebook as soon as, <laughs> as soon as it was said. And I was like, oh, I'm going to hear about that one later. Uh, so, you know, I, I could understand what it was trying to make you feel, which is this, you didn't know who to trust. Like if you're these soldiers, and there's this kind of insurrection starting and you're like, well, who's, you know, who is and who is not part of this? Because there's so many, you know, there's so much emphasis of the lack of security at these buildings. And so at, at some points, like there's just lots of random townspeople just like right. jumping the walls and running around. And sure. they're like, we don't know who's, you know. So at that line, you know, not great. And if anything, that was me being oddly truthful about what it's really being thought by these guys. I mean, like, what the military guys are thinking. Sure. It was, like, almost maybe didn't realize how truthful it was being by having that line in there right. about how these guys really think. Um, but what bothered me more was that there is not a single character that's developed out of any of the Libyans. No. Not fucking one. No one gets, like, any real dialogue. Like, we start to recognize certain ones just from the way they're dressed. Like, oh, I recognize that headscarf. I recognize right. that, that, you know, that... Tracksuit. That, yeah, tracksuit. So, and, but, like, there's no representation from their side of the story at all. Um, there's a prologue where they're kind of setting the scene for what's going on. Um, and there's one title card that says, like, there had just been airstrikes on Libya from the U.S. and Britain and France or whatever. And which has been, you know, largely pointed out as what inspired this since that it was a it was a, a reaction to these airstrikes on their country. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is nothing in the movie to address like, well, why are they doing this? Right. Um, yeah, that, exactly. That's not considered for a moment. So none of them are turning to characters. None of them like there's nothing to humanize them at all. Um, they have the one good Libyan that they have is their translator, right? Who oh gosh is turned into a, a laughing stock. He is a comic relief because he's a little brown guy, and they like to you know they're like okay time for you to go in battle with us, and he's like oh but I I don't, and they're just like you know they're like oh, I take this gun, and they like show him like walking shaking in his like oversized military helmet carrying his little gun, and it's it was disgusting. It was it was that was really and then at really, the end. He leaves. And also, they, they make sort of like homophobic jokes about him being like... Oh, yeah. Like the word, I'm, I'm going to break like, up with him at the yeah. end of this trip. They're like oh, dating. There's, there's, so, there's a, several like gay panic jokes in the movie. Exactly. Um, at the end, they dismiss him telling him, like, tell your country to get its shit together. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. That was terrible. Uh, and that's not even the most offensive thing. I, don't, I wonder if we can agree on what the most offensive scene was in the movie. Ooh, what's yours? 
Well, mine would have to be um, when the siege briefly pauses so that the attackers can all go do their morning Muslim prayers. Oh, my God. Uh, and are seen, you know, praying Allah Akbar yeah. with a stack of guns leaning up against a pillar in the same shot. Yep. Literally. There's, there, this, is a, this is the thing that's in this movie. Is yeah. is is Muslim prayer with guns leaning against a pillar? I was like, F- "Fuck you, movie!" Absolutely, fuck you so hard for putting that out there into the world. That is so fucking reckless and so irresponsible. Yeah, like I think that needs to like, like I am honestly, I feel I hope that there is a movement to get Paramount to just cut that. From, that would be amazing. Like at least that shot. Like it's it's one thing if it's just like okay, sure, because like that morning prayer is a thing. Sure, so yeah. yeah. So if it's just like oh yeah, this is the thing that is you know for for to stop. So there's morning prayer. Yeah, makes sense. But to have the actual shot of them praying with the guns there, that is fucked. That's completely irresponsible. That is so 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 irresponsible. You're gonna see it on like you're gonna see that shot on Facebook in like two months. You're oh, gonna totally. think that somebody like photoshopped it together, but it's just gonna be from and they'll be like, This is what's going yeah. on oh. over there. It's gonna be that thing your racist uncle exactly. uh, shares as like a meme on Facebook or it's like, Oh, look, this is this is what this is what really goes on in mosques. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's it's so, so, so fucked. Um, mine is, so mine is a little bit more on the taste side and not like, because oh. I was so enraged and offended the whole time that it's really hard for me to pick one. Yeah. But, and this actually parallels that one very well because it is this horrible scene of a shot up American flag oh. drowning in a pool. Oh, yeah, yeah, It yeah. is so trite. It is yeah. so, and it's not even shot well, like cuts in really fast and like, cuts out it's not like timed well it's not like slow with dramatic music it's like the, the most awkward seemed like it was put at the last minute mm-hmm. um just embarrassment yes and, and it pairs wonderfully and horribly with your moment and, and i think i may have actually heard some sniffling behind me are you kidding during, me mm-hmm. i think that during when they show that 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 tattered shop american flag floating in the pool that i heard like <laughs> behind me and i was like oh <laughs> god damn it is this working on you it's just an act of complete and utter pandering. And, you know, it's it's very much wanting to get in on that American Sniper Lone Survivor money. But here's the thing. It's definitely closer to Lone Survivor than it is to American Sniper. Mm-hmm. I mean, very much, very close to the Lone Survivor, because that was also a true story about just, like, one siege where all these military guys were just kind of picked off one by one. And, I mean, I didn't get the appeal of that movie because it really was just like, it was like torture porn in a way. Right. I mean, it was like a snuff film. You know, it was like a fucking military snuff movie where you're just like watching these guys get picked off brutally one by one, usually after having been already like shot several times before actually dying or that kind of thing. So you're just watching all these men dying very slowly over the course of a movie. American Sniper, as much as it came to represent culturally as like this kind of like, oh, this major red state hit that, mm-hmm. you know, the became the most profitable movie of the year it was released. That is not, that movie is ambiguous. That movie has like a lot of moral ambiguity about it. Sure. Which Clint Eastwood, despite, you know, his reputation, he always goes very much into moral ambiguity in his movies that he directs. Like mm-hmm. he is not, in his art, a simplistic dude. Right. 
Right. And so American Sniper, when I watched it, I was like, oh, this movie is such like a condemnation of military culture. Like it shows just like how fucked you are. Right. And it, like, you can't win. And yeah, you can't win. It shows like the, you know, the PTSD stuff. Right. It shows like what might, what kind of dysfunction could lead to someone becoming, going into the military. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows his childhood with like his like fucking crazy dad and, you know, and like, you know, teaching him all this insane shit. And I was like, oh, this is such a good, this is like a brutally honest movie about the military. And then that, you know, and then for him to just get killed so senselessly at the end, as in real life. Right. I was like, man, like this movie is really giving it to the military. And then, nope, everyone was just like, I guess everyone else just saw a completely just different movie. Over, yeah, yeah exactly. they're just like, yeah, well, this is the, and they like saw those childhood scenes where like, yep, that's how children should be raised. It's and, like concussions, that great football movie. Right, tell the truth. Of the year. Tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so American Sniper, this isn't. Um, this is zero nuance, zero ambiguity, uh, no sophistication, no complexity. Uh, this is just complete bullshit, pandering, agitprop nonsense. Uh, it's so infuriating, and I don't know if I'll ever not be mad at John Krasinski for doing this movie. Yeah. I really don't. It's crossed a line. Like, I get that, like, girlfriend needs to eat, um, <laughs> but, like... Let let your wife keep bringing on the bacon, yeah. and like I get it, like your film career never really took off. You had that Leatherheads movie, no one liked it. Oh right, maybe he's just kind of has like a, you know, he's not a very I don't know. Maybe he lives out his like childhood fantasies through these military movies. <laughs> maybe I mean I think that I would like to think that John Krasinski is horrified by the way this movie is being marketed now, mm-hmm. and that he did not want to be that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know he wanted to be seen differently. As an actor, he didn't want to just be seen as like the sensitive guy. Sure. You know, um, because other than Leatherheads, the only other movie I can think of where he played the lead was um, Away We Go with Maya Rudolph. Mm. Oh, yeah. The the Dave Eggers um, scripted movie. Um, And that was like, that was an even softer, more sensitive guy than Jim. Than Jim. Um, And speaking of Jim, uh, one of the other actors who plays in the security team in this movie is the guy who played Pam's original boyfriend from the shipping department, <laughs> uh, who Jim stole her away from. And uh, But apparently they they broed out about it, and they're cool now. Oh, my because God. Because they're in this movie. They say bro and brother. Yeah, lots of broing, lots of brothering. I feel like if you were a self-aware, you know, I don't know, someone, if you're if you're in the same line of work and you're like, this movie represents what I do and who I am, mm-hmm. but you were at all, like, self-aware, you would be embarrassed by your portrayal here. Mm-hmm. It's... It's so comical yeah. and over the top. Yeah. yeah. Cartoonish. It's cartoonish. Yeah. It's really, really cartoonish. Uh, I can't imagine that, you know, that a soldier would watch this movie and be like, that's exactly what it's like. Uh, and, at least, in, and to be honest with themselves about it. I mean, in, in okay, you know, like me at Culpa, like, I have not now, nor have I ever served in the military. I have no fucking idea. Maybe it's exactly like this. But I will say that, like, you know, and I, and I did feel like it was being honest. Like, I could picture these guys being these guys. Mm-hmm. Better looking mm-hmm. versions. But I could picture them being these guys. But, you know, with that said, you know, and maybe this is, this is we're kind of seeing it through their eyes in this movie. It, right down to the, the people they don't like. You know, like, we're seeing the, the people yeah. the way that they saw those people. Yep. And, but that was a funny thing about even the marketing when they're like, the untold story of the, the the secret soldiers of Benghazi or whatever, as if it's like a newer groundbreaking thing to be like, well, this one's going to be told from the soldier's point of view. <laughs> so well, that's been never been done before. Good job, guys. You cracked it wide open. 
did not see that one coming. Um, and it also has to be said that this movie has possibly the gnarliest arm wound. Oh, shit. In the history of, Woof. of cinema. Woof. Like, goddamn, this movie, it has seriously mm. the goriest, goriest mm-hmm. arm injury that a character a character incurs who does not die. And then just is just walking around the rest of the movie with literally half of his arm hang on by like a few bits of skin. Yeah. And there's bone, and it is, it's, it's like, a, I was like, people will faint. <laughs> yeah, like it's someone, pretty intense. I feel like someone out there is going to faint um, because of that, because it is horrifying. I guess one other just thought I had about it was, you know, because you're watching this movie, and one of the thoughts you have is like, how the fuck did all these Libyan guys get so many weapons? And of course, like, we know that there's a complicated history with, like, the U.S. Army, right. these countries, and then it just, like, it gets out of hand, and... But, like, you know, so all you see are all these Libyans with, like, missile launchers and automatic weapons and shit like that. And I was like, who could watch this movie and still think that it's a good idea for average citizens to have automatic weapons? Oh, absolutely. Like, and and so the people who love this movie are going to be very much those people. Yep. And how? Like, what makes the, what, because we're Americans and so we should be allowed to, but no other country should be allowed to? Like, this happens in this movie and in these places of the world because the weapons are so rampant and so widespread. So, like, all you need is for, like, the climate to get worse and before you know people are just fucking blowing everyone else away. Right. These automatic weapons that the average citizen has no business having. Nobody needs a mortar. Nobody. So, yeah, so that's just, like, one more bit of hypocrisy that I'm dreading coming from out of this, of, you know, f- fucking Target fans of this watching it and being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It'll just, you know, reinforce their ideas about shit. And, you know, and I'm not saying that I don't look for things that reinforce my ideas about shit. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this is just a really artless um, piece of work in that sense. It's just extremely transparent, very on the nose, horrible screenplay. Awful. But like I said, it's beautifully shot. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to give it? This is this is an area where we might disagree. Okay. Um, because I'm actually going to say consume moderation. Holy shit. I know for this one. Because it is such like a well done action movie. So I think if you can divorce yourself from the actual content of it and the messaging of it, then like what you have is a really... Because su- Michael Bay directed this. We haven't even talked about the fact that it's Michael Bay. Right. So Benghazi is what people are calling it. <laughs> um, and, you know, Michael Bay knows his way around an action film. He's been doing it for a long time. It's his trade. It's his specialty. And after doing these fucking Transformers movies for so long, it is kind of nice to see him do, like, an on-the-ground, a much more sort of, like, human, you know, like, feet-on-the-ground action story. Yeah, it was cool seeing John Krasinski turn into a car. <laughs> that was my favorite part. <laughs> uh, so for that reason, even though politically I want to say, you know, like, send it back, um, I think it's it's just too well done for me to completely condemn. Wow. But with that said, wow. Rebecca? I'm going to say send it furiously back. <laughs> Seeing this movie is irresponsible, giving any money to this movie, um, unless you and about 100 of your gay bear male friends go see this at the Castro in military uniforms. That I support 110%. <laughs> but for yes. everybody else, this movie is irresponsible. It feeds into a discussion that's already problematic with Trump, and it is does not belong 
out right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Preach. Send I, it back. I, I agree with everything Rebecca just said, and I especially agree with the idea of doing like a guerrilla gay takeover of like movie theaters around the country. Mm-hmm. Of just having just like every like just a bunch of like oiled up bears, yes. like with like, like gun jump oil in. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Gun oil, just like you know, like rubbing each other in the seats. Like yeah, just cheering on all yes. the, all the all the homoerotic antics in the Let's movie. Let's make that happen. Yeah, that, we'll, we'll work on that. That's the that's the only responsible way to see this movie. Okay, so changing gears a little bit, (laughs) we're going to talk about the second movie, which is Son of Saul. In the horror of 1944 Auschwitz, a prisoner forced to burn the corpses of his own people finds moral survival trying to salvage from the flames the body of a boy he takes for his son. So we don't have a a trailer for this one because it's in Hungarian, which we cannot translate for you. Uh, still, uh, it's a Holocaust movie. It's another Holocaust movie. Yes. Does it have something new to say, or is it the same old atrocities all dressed up for award season? I would say that it it is it is a a, a kind of a, a fresh take on this uh, for uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, the the director uh, has been very outspoken in interviews about like how he wanted to do a different kind of story about this. And, you know, in a big part of what is different is that technically um, mm-hmm. the achievement that it has. So we spend almost the entire movie in a tight close up on Saul's face um, as he is navigating uh, his way around this hellscape. Yeah. And we are kept sort of blissfully unaware, not unaware, but removed from the horror around him. Because most of the time, the area around him is kind of blurred, mm-hmm. um, but not so blurred that you don't realize that, oh, okay, now he's just like walking through a room full of like freshly gassed Jews um, to, you know, to drag their bodies out so that they can be burned. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it puts you right there. This is all about wanting you to be in his head as he is negotiating all of this. Yeah. And it, and, you know, in his head is not a great place to be for a number of reasons because we realize this is a man who's he's lost his mind or he's rapidly losing his mind Mm -hmm. and uh you know which is where this is a tough movie to talk about without kind of being spoilery just because like yeah it's it's a very it's a very uh sort of minimalistic in terms of like plot yeah um it's really just sort of like an a to b kind of movie um, so, you know, we're going to get a little spoilery, um, about what actually happens in the movie. Uh, so if you don't want to hear that, then turn back now. See you next week. Yeah. See you next week. So he, he finds this boy. Um, there is a, after one of the gassings, there's a teen boy who has not died in the gassing. And, uh, and so Saul finds him and then kind of watches on as the boy is taken aside and suffocated, um, by the guards. Uh, but then Saul somehow becomes convinced that this is his son, and so he starts looking for a rabbi um, to give him a proper, you know, an Orthodox Jewish burial. And that is that's that's the entire movie. Uh, him just kind of trying to get this body and to put it someplace safe while he goes around like trying to ask people who's a rabbi, which is a very dangerous thing to be asking mm-hmm. because you know anyone who would be identified as a rabbi would be killed immediately. Exactly. And um, and so you know we're kind of cheering this guy on in his mission because you know he's trying to do this honorable thing. Um, against this backdrop of such, t- you know, terror. Uh, but then, you know, we we start to see people saying things to him like, you don't have a son, you know, like, what are you even talking about? And uh, and so we start to realize, like, oh, okay, so this is, you know, this guy's lost it. And he's looking for, he's looking for something to redeem 
in this in this scenario and uh and so to me the movie is almost one big extended somewhat single note metaphor uh for sort of the pointlessness of trying to find something redeeming about the holocaust Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. in a way it's almost like a rebuttal of every other holocaust movie right that ever tried to have a point yeah it's basically saying there's no point there's nothing to take from this this was just terrible this is all just terrible and there's there's don't don't look for inspiration there don't fucking life is beautiful it exactly um it's like there's never been a movie more diametrically opposed to life is beautiful <laughs> than son so of saul yeah. and uh and, and uh, it made me think of at the end of the movie the reader the movie that kate winslet won the oscar oh, right. for where she mm-hmm. played the nazi guard uh there's a scene where uh ray fines uh tracks down this this you know this young what last time he had seen it was this young jewish girl who i think he like testified against kate winslet in the in the war crimes trials and so he tracks her down to let her know that, like, Kate Winslet says, you know, she's dying or she's on her last legs or something. And he finds her and she's a sort of this wealthy, uh, you know, sort of um, middle-aged Jewess living in Manhattan. And uh, and he's, you know, he's trying to talk to her to, like, extract some meaning from all this to, like, let you know, like, well, I just thought you would want to know. She, you know, she's she's sorry and she, you know, wrote you a letter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this character, who I believe is played by Lena Olin, has this amazing speech that really caught me off guard where she's like, don't go into the camps looking for meaning. Yeah. There is no meaning there. There's only death. And I feel like Son of Saul is just an extended metaphor illustrating that point. So we have this character, Saul, who tries to find something to redeem, something that will be meaningful and so he just, you know, goes out of his mind. He's like, this is my son and I need him to have a proper burial. But it's pointless. He risks whatever life he has yeah. and whatever life the people around him have. Any, you know, sort of chance for escape and, and survival um, becomes second to this purpose he's, mm-hmm. he's um, yeah. established for himself. Yeah, he appoints himself to a a, a made-up purpose. Yeah. Well, that, that's sort of what I thought about the movie was... Is this a, a sort of a speech about how we need to have a purpose no matter what our situation is? Like mm. in the most dire of circumstances, you'll still need to find something that you think that you own and you need to do that will somehow mm-hmm. help you or make you feel like your time is not being completely, right? you know. Well, it's sort of like, you know, he he wants to have agency over something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, he did, he wants to have something that he's doing. That's what he's doing. And, you know, something, something mm-hmm. to sort of put a, a, a score, you know, a markup on the board for the other side. You're like, well, I'm taking this one person and I'm going to see that they get a proper burial. Right. Um, but, you know, but ultimately it's a futile task. And then when I was thinking that it made me go down this road of like people who work at an office that are like, I just want to work with my hands and have a purpose. And then I was like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Oh, oh man, that was an unfair uh, comparison, but I went there. <laughs> we also, it should be noted that Rebecca literally just came from pottery class. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to do something with my hands. Rebecca left her office job and went to a pottery class, with and then my came, coworkers, and then came here to record this podcast. <laughs> I need to be so. creative and have some agency over my pottery. <laughs> I also thought that this movie, the one thing it kind of does have in common with Secret Soldiers of Benghazi is ah. that both characters, main characters, are having like the worst day of work ever. <laughs> yes. Neither of their jobs are very fantastic. Um, no. This one is exponentially worse. Um, but it is anytime someone thinks their job is awful, yeah. go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> yes. this is the worst. Yeah 
situation. This is the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the fucking worst. Like, you're watching this movie and you're just, you have, you just, you, you kind of go into shock, I feel like, almost emotionally to even think about, to even let yourself go there mentally and, and emotionally to imagine. It is, it's, yeah, you're just left speechless watching this movie. Um, you know, especially when you, in the first scene where we're realizing what's actually happening. I was so I was you know I knew exactly what this movie was about going into it. Yeah, you know, uh, and I was fooled because they mm-hmm. they do they a fool- bit to fool people, right, and fool I was them. fooled, and I was so yeah. I, I haven't been moved by by a movie in that moment for a, in that way. For for a long time. Yeah. It really hit me super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca made a series of, of, of vows after watching the movie. No, I will never again say case of the Mondays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she may, she may never even joke again. I may it's, never, it's, I didn't think I would ever joke yeah, again. No, it, there's, yeah, I don't there's, deserve to laugh. <laughs> yes. None of us deserve to laugh. Yeah. Rebecca's got a wiki case of survivor's guilt after watching this movie. <laughs> That's why this movie should be seen. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really harrowing. It's not easy to watch. It's very, it's incredibly artfully done. It's an amazing, amazing achievement when you just stand back and look at it. If you're able to pull yourself out of like the feelings of emotional trauma that you experience watching mm-hmm. it and just think like, this is, this is all just a movie. Like it literally yeah. feels like like a first person. Um, you feel like you're almost doing like a virtual reality first person experience of what it would have been like yeah. to be down there working these camps, working next to the, working, dragging bodies back and forth from the showers to the ovens. Like you you feel like you're there in the thick of it, and you're like, God damn! Like I think that no movie has ever made it feel more viscerally real. No, absolutely the, the not. The experience of being what it, being in a camp could have been like. I've never felt like seeing bodies in the way that bodies were shown in this movie mm. were as human like the bodies in this movie seemed so human it seemed so realistic it didn't yeah. seem like a movie yeah um and the way like following him around you're basically given like a grand tour of like yeah the death all the factory. parts of it yeah the death it's factory horrible um also with the Having the camera in that way not only puts a lot of responsibility on the main actor, who was mm-hmm. fantastic, yeah. uh, and says so much with his eyes, yeah. um, but it also, like, there, there's you don't get to lean on, like, establishing shots mm-hmm. or any sort of, you know, sort of beautiful dramatics you could create. Right. Everything is done subtly in the background. Subtly mm-hmm. in the background, you see yeah. your bodies. It's all so you choreographed. You figure things out. Um, yeah. Oh, that's an oven. Oh, my God, that's a fucking oven. Like, yeah. you kind of go yeah, through that. Yeah, when you start to realize. Yeah, I feel like the camera very rarely pulls back. I think one scene it definitely does, which is yeah. possibly the most horrifying scene, is at the fire pit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 oh, God. Yeah. So it's going to be funny when we get to the rating of this, because, you know, who in the right mind would say, you should binge this movie? <laughs> I definitely will say binge this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we can just, yeah. So we can say now that I think we're both saying, you know, we're giving our highest rating of binge it. But it feels like I've never been more uncomfortable seeing to binge a movie because what insane masochist would binge watch <laughs> um, Son of Saul over and over again. Um, but it is uh, it is also the foreign language film frontrunner at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It, as expected, was nominated uh, as well as uh, Mustang was nominated, which yeah. we uh, put on our best of the year list from last year. Son of Saul but won the Golden Globe. Son of Saul won the Golden Globe, and it, it's like ninety nine percent guaranteed to win the Oscar as well. And uh, and so and yeah, and so we say we say binge it. You know, it's really it's one of the hardest movies you'll ever watch, but it is it earns it. It has a, it earns its its gravity. Absolutely, um, and, and I'll say to the to the opposite of, of 
13 hours where that one felt like you turn your back on it because it's completely irresponsible and it shouldn't be watched by anybody mm-hmm. i feel like this movie should be watched by as many people as possible because yes it's fucking hard but it is a responsibility we don't you know we so easily dramatize these things see the good lining put it out of our history these things happen it was if there's if you could feel it in a way that means something to you and helps you make choices about how you act in the world then i think that's important and you should definitely see this movie Son of Saul is out now and is rated R for disturbing, violent content and some graphic nudity. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge, this week's super uplifting episode of The Binge. <laughs> super chill and lightweight and breezy. Uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user. And if you're on Android, you can find us on Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. Talk to us on Twitter. I'm at the Jason Leroy, and Rebecca is at Fight Balance. So until next time, thanks for listening. Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. There There goes goes the binge. binge.